You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And today, let's go back. Let's recap what went right. What are some things you need to improve on going into Ole Miss as A&M gets the 22-3 victory over Auburn? Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single day right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube.com. Subscribe to the channel right down below. It's that easy. Little click of a button. There you go. Bingo, bango, bongo. Or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. As always, I am your host, Cole Thompson. Name right down there below for those of you who want to follow me on Twitter. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to make this a more quality-sounding podcast, Monday through Friday, give me a follow, give me a shout-out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th man related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. So for those of you probably watching on YouTube, you're seeing me move around a little bit. Uh, this is Paisley. Uh, she is the new puppy that me and the girlfriend got. And I am on puppy duty today. So uh, it's really hard to kind of put her down. So if you see her in one of the episodes over the next couple of days, it's because of I'm at home this week, uh, you know, because Texans, they're away. So I, or they're on their bye week. So I don't have to go to the stadium. Uh, I'm basically dog sitting her and Max. So that, that, that's kind of thing. So say hi to everybody. Say hi. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about who else can say hi. AM's actual SEC championship playoff hopes. There's a lot going on right now to where Texas AM should be happy. So let's go ahead and talk about what went right. What was the key? I said that you had to do to make sure to win this game. You had to pressure Bo Nix. You had to make him get rid of that ball, get that ball out of his hands, go ahead and try to throw it to the sideline, try to force something and let it be broken up. That's exactly what Mike Elko's defense did. Five total sacks in the day. Five. Count them. Uh, two, two came from the likes of Tyree Johnson. He now has seven through the last five games. He leads the team with eight. Seven have come in the last five games. That's astonishing to me. Just the way that he's able to maneuver and pressure and build up his, uh, his pass rush, get past the line of scrimmage, and beat every single offensive lineman. And that, that's the thing is that, like, if this was against one of the weaker offensive linemen, like, say, mm, somebody at Missouri or, say, someone at even Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss's pass offense is very good, but their pass protection is very average at best. If that's the case, yeah, I expect that. But Auburn has actually done a very good job this season protecting Bo Nix. They allowed a season-high five sacks, two coming from Tyree Johnson, one coming from the likes of – um. Uh, DeMarvin Leal, one coming from uh, uh, Jaden Peavy, and then one I'm going to talk about in a little bit later, so I don't want to give that away, but you can already guess who that one is. But what's interesting is that they pressured him a lot. He didn't throw the ball out of bounds a, sh- uh, a ton. That wasn't his case, but he did a lot of dump passes. There was a lot of quick hits to uh, Jarquez Hunter. There was a lot of quick hits to Tank Bigsby. Kobe Hudson got a few receptions. He averaged 3.7 yards per throw, which was a season low for him. 153 yards, which again, that's really neither here nor there. Zach Calzada did a little bit better on that. But they elected at some point to just go ahead and run the football because they realized we can't pass. Tyree Chappelle did an awesome job covering Demetrius Robinson. Uh, You had Jalen Jones have a really solid game in coverage. 
playing against Kobe Hudson, who has really started to emerge as what feels to be their number one receiver. Elko did a really good job of mixing in kind of zone covers where you would have the roaming safety, Leon kind of play across the middle of the field to where he would take away any slant routes, any ins, any crossers. And then you had a really nice performance with the likes of Edger and Cooper. And I really want to focus in on him. If you want to, go check out my article on him at allaggies.com talking about how his play as the rotational linebacker is really starting to make him look like a more and more promising prospect moving forward. I very much enjoyed my conversation with him this past week. Really solid player, but they did a great job kind of eliminating the middle of the field, kind of making both throw to the outside. And if he didn't throw the outside, what he was doing was he was throwing towards the likes of um of the sidelines trying to you know stop the clock. And then at some point they just said, screw it, they're going to run the ball. They ended up passing uh, 41 times. They ended up rushing 29 times. They had to pass towards the end because – AM was just beating them. I mean, in every single aspect of the word, AM was just beating them. That was just kind of the case. And that's not before the Michael Clemens touchdown. That's just because of they were forcing a lot of third downs. They were kind of owning the time of possession and they had to try and get the ball moving somehow. So at some point, they had to start passing the football. And that ended up actually really hurting the likes of Auburn, who only picked up 17 first downs. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they only picked up four or five through the air. So they did a really good job of actually eliminating third down coverage when they try to pass it. Towards the end of the game, you could see that Bo was very frustrated. He wasn't getting his reads. He wasn't going through his progression. He was just trying to get the ball out, get the ball, you know, get the ball rolling and somehow find some bit of consistency when trying to get the, you know, passes off. And it ended up biting him in the keister because Jalen Jones gets an interception towards the end of the game and it allows Isaiah Spiller, which we're about to talk about next, Go for over 100 rushing yards for the third straight game. Number two, what was the key? You have to outweigh Jarquez Hunter and, of course, uh, Tank Bigsby. That's what you have to do. And when you look at it on paper, you know, they, they kind of were very similar. And you had a few more yards from – actually, no, you, may, you, had a, you had a ton more yards from Devon A. Chain. But Bigsby was the lead back. He averaged about 4.5 yards per play. But he only had one run, one run of over six yards. So it was a lot of, uh, you know, four down carries. There was a lot of two down. It was a lot of two down yardage. It was a lot of two threes, and then he had one of seven and one of eleven. And that was it. Like, everything else was basically just short and intermediate. And now it's a testament to what the linebackers did. Jarquez Hunter was basically eliminated after the Edgerton Cooper hit. Go ahead and type in on YouTube: Edgerton Cooper hit Jarquez Hunter. It's a perfectly timed read through the A-gap, which is just exactly what you want to see from your speed linebacker, the guy who's kind of destined to play the run. He is going to take over for probably Aaron Hansford next year. I mean, if he hasn't already taken over for him and Andre White kind of combined, I'd be very shocked because if Cooper just is playing so lights out and his ability to read and react, great straight line speed, and he is a monster behind the line of scrimmage. They basically eliminated Hunter in this game. I think he had a run of eight yards, 14. 14 was the longest run of the day. And he only had, I think, three, uh, yeah, four carries. So he was very limited in that aspect. Meanwhile, Isaiah Spiller was able to coast his way to 100 yards, third straight game in a row that he surpassed that. He now is second, I want to say, in the SEC in total rushing yards. Devon A. Chain had a really, really, really good breakaway run. It was like for 68, 69 yards. And um, yeah, after that, the biggest problem was is that he fumbled the ball. And what was really interesting is to see how the players reacted. They didn't get mad. They didn't get upset because they could have iced the game right there. Instead, they said, you know what? We're going to pick you up. We're going to lift you up. We're going to make sure that you feel good about yourself. Whoops. Sorry about that. You had, um, whoops. Sorry about that. Uh, 
you had him go for 96 yards. He almost had 100 yards for the third straight game. Over 200 rushing yards on the day. That's a big testament of what AM does. They, they, they know how to ground and pound the football. They know how to move it up down the sidelines. They know how to make sure that they can pick it up on third down. They know how to go ahead and play the play the f- field. And again, when you look at Zach Calzada, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, he didn't really pass a lot. In this kind of offense right now, he doesn't really have to. Just get the plays off when you need to. And that's something that, you know, he basically did. He averaged 6.6 yards per throw. I think he went 14 or 15 of 29, 192 yards. Low QBR rating, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter when you play the style of offense that you're trying to do in College Station. That's a testament of what Jimbo Fisher has kind of said in the past. They want to implement the run. They want to have a solid run game, and they're doing that. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what worked. They didn't score an offensive touchdown, but that's okay. We're going to talk about next what went wrong, but before we do that, let me tell you about our brand new deal because this episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Prize Picks. Listen up, fantasy sports nerds. I got a deal for you. If you love fantasy football, but you love it at the collegiate level, guess what? Prize Picks offers every single day daily wagers. It offers more college football props than anybody else in the world. From star players at Power 5 schools to mid-major conference players, Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from yardage to touchdowns to interceptions thrown. So right now, you're looking at a really good line for Zach Calzada going into Oxford. Say if he doesn't throw an interception, you're going to win money. Say Isaiah Spiller gets over 100 rushing yards, you're going to get money. All users can get up to six picks on the over-under projections, and you can win up to 10 times the amount of any entry. All you have to do is use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you will receive up to $100 back with your very first purchase. That's locked on for 100% of your money back on your first deposit. Daily wagers, easy selections. Go ahead and get your money, get your prices, and get your daily dosage of fantasy college sports made easy with Prize Picks. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast. I want to thank you so much for making this your first listen every single day. Check us out on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, LockedOnPodcast.com, and many, many more websites. All right. I want to focus in on one player because I love the way that Mike Elbert used it. And to me, this was a sign of him saying, I'm ready for the next step. And, I, and I'll not talk about the other guy in a minute because I think it's important because it is the state of Texas and we do do Texas Thursday. So we're going to bring that up. Uh, but I do want to bring that up in a little bit. So let's go ahead and talk about what he did in this game. He blitzed with safeties. That was really interesting to see. I did not know Damani Richardson was that fast because if he was coming off the edge, he was timing the snaps perfectly. So Elko all week had to say, listen, we're going to send an extra blitzer because I feel comfortable with Leon playing back. I feel comfortable with Edrin playing in space because of what he's shown with his speed. Damani, 2-6, time it perfectly, let it fly, hit that mother effort in the face and knock him the F out. That was the message. There was five blitzes by Richardson, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was five. It was four or five. I think it was five. Two were almost so perfectly timed that one, he did get the sack. One, he finally got the sack. The second one, the ball was released. And as it's released, I mean, like almost simultaneously, if he gets there a 0.8 second faster, it's a second sack of the day. He also had two really good designs where he uh, he uh, kind of played into the linebacker spot. And then right before the snap, kind of went around and went to the C-gap on the outside edge. And then he went one where he was kind of playing the outside linebacker role where Antonio Johnson usually plays. And instead, kind of moves slowly in, gets right through B-gap, almost gets by a def- uh, almost gets by an offensive lineman pretty quickly. After that, 
Yeah. I mean, if he gets by there and can shuck and swim or find a way to dive down low and pick himself back up, Nix is in trouble. Nix is in trouble because Nix was under pressure and under duress with that A gap and B gap all four quarters. I mean, it really felt that way. There were maybe a handful of plays that a defensive lineman did not win his line of, you know, win his battle in, in the trenches. And that was honestly also because the Knicks got the ball out really quick. There was a handful of snaps where it was like less than three seconds before he was throwing the football. It was one, two, out. It wasn't even, you know, it was a three-step drawback. He knew where he was going. There were several plays where you look where he was just trying to get the ball to the flats. That's a really good testament to the defense. Now, there were some mental mistakes in this game that we got to talk about for Texas A&M because this is very important. You can't have this against Ole Miss. You cannot have this against LSU. You can't against Prairie View, but again, it's it's Prairie View. I'm not going to really get into that one. You know, that that's a game that we'll probably be covering, but we'll probably be more focused in that week on college football playoff rankings and, you know, college basketball coming back. You know, A&M, you know, comes back tomorrow, so we get to see them play for the first time all season. But I look right now at what Texas A&M does. Offensively, they had way too many drops. They had five drops in the game. So, honestly... The stat line should read 15 of 29 should be 20 of 29 because of five drops. Two from Anaya Smith, one from, uh, I want to say it was A-Chain, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, two from Jalen Weidemeyer. The two from Weidemeyer were bad. Like, there's no excuse. If you're going to be a John Mackey Award semifinalist or even a finalist, if you're going to be a future NFL first-rounder, second-round pick, you can't have those drops. Like you, you, you just can't. And then Smith, uh, one was a literally was was poorly timed. One was kind of like, oh, I, I, I guess I'm, you know, I guess I went left. I'm supposed to go right. Gets his hand on the ball. So I could say one was on him. One was on Calzada with the timing. But ball touches hand. You gotta go get that ball. You can't have those drops against Ole Miss. You can't have those drops against the likes of LSU because if they're gonna eat you alive. They're going to go ahead and they're going to close the gap and they're going to make sure that they eat you alive on those plays. Because a lot of times when you watch what DJ Jerkins defense does is he is able to either have guys basically blanket the crap out of uh, wide receivers or they play in so much off ball, the ball tips off his hands. It's going to you know hang in the air long enough for them to be able to break, react, and as they're coming down, kind of pick it with ease in, in the air. They're not going to have it coming in at 70 miles an hour or 65 miles an hour. It's going to be coming in at four miles an hour. So it's a very easy interception. Those are the things that you got to really work on. Uh, Secondly, you know, A-chain. It was a mistake. I I totally get it. And and the good news is is that the lead was so far ahead that you felt comfortable at 17-3 to to be able to, you know, just kind of push it down the throat and just go, we're we're done after this. But you can't have those fumbles. I, I mean, at that point, if you're running... And you see someone behind you. And again, you, you can see on his face, he, he was like, oh. And then, you know, that was how it happened. You still can't have those fumbles. Those are fumbles that, unfortunately, will come back to bite you in the keister in the long run. But I will say, what was very interesting was how the team rallied around him. How the team was able to benefit from him coming out and saying, you know what? I feel good. I feel good at where we're at. I feel good at what we're doing. This, to me, feels right. And guess what? He did. The team was very much like, hey, we got your back, brother. Don't worry about it. You get him next time. And maybe next time he will. Maybe next time he will. And that's exactly what's going to happen against Ole Miss. Those are two very minor mistakes, but overall, a very solid game. Seth Small, four or five from kicking. 
really the MVP of the game. I, I got to give it to him. Uh, I will say this: there are two other MVPs, and we'll go through them real fast before I do. Number two is Antonio Johnson, because if Antonio Johnson made the critical block of the day, I do not know if A&M gets the momentum without the Michael Clemens touchdown. I don't. Jaden Peavy gets that strip sack, but Antonio Johnson is the one who sees Bo Nix trying to make a tackle, and he goes, nope, stay the hell down, and basically sends him to the center of the earth with a block out of nowhere. And the number one is Michael Clemens. Gets the one touchdown of the day. The only touchdown of the day. Not offensive touchdown, not defensive touchdown, only touchdown of the day. If that's the only touchdown of the day, you're probably going to be the one in favor. You're more than likely going to be the one that gets the most praise. So he is my player of the game, hands down, because if he scored a touchdown, and that's exactly what you got to go with. College football is nearing its end. So is the NFL season at the midway point. And with it, there's still time to get your bets in as college basketball and the NBA are back in full swing. To do so, make sure you go to the one place we love and the one place we trust. That's betonline.ag. Betonline.ag gives the best buyouts, the best bets, the best wagers, and so much more when you visit them at betonline.ag. Uh, go get daily picks, wages, odds, and so much more. Use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. From MLB to NHL to NBA to college football, UFC, boxing, and so much more, go ahead and visit the one place we love and we trust every single day, BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbooks experts. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's go ahead and talk about what happened this past week in Texas. One second, as we put PJ down on the desk while she can go ahead and walk around. Joey McGuire. Joey McGuire hired by Texas Tech. So, why does this affect Texas AM? Well, two reasons. Number one, Baylor has actually been a very competent and competitive team when it comes to recruiting, both underneath Matt Rule and underneath Dave Aranda. So when you look at both of those, that's a big, big thing. Like that's a very big, big deal for the likes of Texas Tech because they're getting an elite recruiter. And the other thing you got to take away is he also is somebody who has played so much at the high school level during his time at Cedar Hill, uh, you know, down, down in basically Dallas, won three, oh, sorry, sweetie. Uh, won three state titles for them. It was a really good hire by the likes of Texas Tech. And I do think that this does affect Texas A&M because it now feels like the one guy and the one job left that Mike Elko would go to is TCU. I don't think he's going to TCU. I think that when you look at what is going on right now up at TCU, Sonny Dykes is the number one option. He's probably going to be in that shortlist. I would probably say... He's one or two. Billy Napier is kind of probably right up there with them. And if they're going to go offensive mind, then that takes Mike Elko out. But then Joey McGuire was a guy who was listed as potentially an option for TCU. He was a guy who was listed as an option for maybe North Texas, Texas State. And now that he's at Texas Tech, Sonny Dykes, the son of Spike Dykes, who was going to be, you know, who was a legend at Tech years and years and years, is now there. He now has one option. It's TCU or bust as the next head coach of the Horned Frogs. And if he doesn't take it, then I still think that they're going to go offensive mind, which to me is probably a Justin Fuente or a Billy Napier. That would probably be where I would go next. That's a good thing for AM because Mike Elko probably is staying. I do not see him leaving anytime soon. The only place I would see him leaving right now to go to, if anywhere, would actually be Wake Forest. If Dave Clawson gets a deal, 
Say LSU last seconds, like we love what Dave Clawson did. We love what he was able to do with the Demon Deacons. I want him at the Bayou. I could see them giving a phone call to College Station saying, hey, Mike, do you want to come back? Because he has ties there. He has ties and he knows the recruiting trail out there very, 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 very well. And that possibly could happen. Besides that, I do not think that Elko leaves anytime soon. And that's a huge plus for Texas A&M, especially when it comes to recruiting as they're nearing the end of the 2021 cycle. By the way, let's talk about that real fast. Two major recruits, it, uh, you know, go ahead and sign on the dot line, say, I am coming to Texas A&M. And Chris Marshall, the wide receiver. And then, of course, Walter Nolan, the number two uh, player in the country, the number one defensive player in the country. This is so big for Texas A&M and its recruiting class. They started off the week, I think, at like number six or seven. They're, I think, at number two right now. They have a very good shot at potentially finishing out as the number one recruiting class. And the good news is, is that not only will guys like Nolan and Marshall be able to add players to their team, but you also have guys who are going to be able to act as a confidant with Mike Elko as long as he stays there. Elko leaving College Station now feels like a very far-fetched idea unless he gets a major Power 5 job, which I don't see happening this year, especially not with TCU. And now that Texas Tech you know, has hired Joey McGuire, that means that they're basically going sunny dykes or bust, in my opinion. So the good news is it looks like Elko will be staying for another year. Oh, I know, sweetie. We're almost done. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. On tomorrow's show, let's break down the college football playoff implications. Texas A&M is likely moving up. Where do they fall? We'll talk about that on the other side of the show. See you then. And remember, hear me off. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.